Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior associate pastor, Dr. John Light. We're in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. Four verses that are, in a sense, packed full of content about marriage and children and parents. We're working our way through this epistle and learning about the biblical way of sanctification as opposed to a false way of sanctification that was being taught by some false teachers at Colossae. So if you'll turn with me, hear the Word of God. Colossians 3 at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. O Lord, we pray that you would bring your word home to us. These are, to many of us, very familiar themes, but Lord, help us to see with new eyes, and may your word sink into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this passage that's familiar, and if you'll remember, Dr. Walker preached upon a parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5 a year or two ago, and we look at Scripture's exhortation in each verse here to various ones wives, husbands, children, parents. But before we look at these four verses and the specific commands, I want us to step back and remember the foundational heart attitude that is really to give life and power and motivation to our obedience, any kind of obedience in the Christian life and walk, but especially it comes out here And we go back a verse to verse 17, which we covered last time, which says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That is a verse that is an overarching verse speaking to our daily walk in the Lord, whatever we do, whether we're at work, whether with our families, whatever relationship we're in, if it's a good day, if it's a bad day, we're to carry out that verse and seek to glorify God, give thanks to Him, to worship Him. And so that verse is telling us that our obedience rises out of a heart of worship. Or to put it another way, We live each day, or we should live each day, before God. All that we do, all that we say, all of our relationships, all of our priorities, our work, our leisure, our thought life, all of these things, our words, all is impacted by our relationship to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation He's given to us. And so, the first two verses of Colossians 3, which introduces this whole sanctification theme, 
at this point. It says, if you have then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. And Paul goes on to talk about that. And there's another overarching way of describing it. We've been raised up with Christ, and so seek Him. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so it's important that we keep this fundamental heart attitude and heart orientation to God in view as we talk about very practical matters of marriage and family. In fact, it's interesting in the verses I've read, and Paul goes on to speak about servants and masters, as we go through these verses, and we'll see this again next week, we see that the apostle continues to sprinkle in reminders of this idea that we are living before God, that we, are to, we ought to be trusting God and loving Him and seeking to glorify Him. If you just glance with me, starting at verse 18, I just want to highlight these phrases He talks to wives, and he talks to them, and he says, as is fitting in the Lord. And then verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything. And there's this phrase, for this pleases the Lord. There's that Godward orientation, a little bit different way of describing it. Then down in verse 22, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And then there's this extensive phrase, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And in our series on Proverbs, we learned what the fear of the Lord is, a good and right trust in God and love for Him and desire for His glory. And then in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Christ the Lord. Then chapter 4, verse 1, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. It's just throughout this whole section. I don't know if there's a passage anywhere in the Bible, maybe one of you will check on this somehow, that is more densely packed with these kinds of reminders of the Christian's Godward life in everything that he or she does. And even if these uh, categories of husband, wife, parent, child don't directly apply to you at this season of your life, hopefully you can take these heart attitudes which we see and apply these things to your life as the Holy Spirit applies it to you, to your relationships, to what you're doing, to your work, to your uh, activities, to your priorities. And so, in a sense, what we will see has application to all of us in some way. Well, we want to look at two overarching points here. One is Paul's commands to wives and husbands, and then number two, we'll look at his commands to children and parents. So, first of all, his commands to wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. A wife's submission to her husband is very much misunderstood in our culture and in our world. It's a much ridiculed and typically rejected biblical idea. And of course, it's misunderstood. And it's also a, an idea 
that's twisted and abused at times by husbands. And so there's much confusion about it. But Scripture says elsewhere that wives are co-heirs of Christ with their husbands, so they are equal before God with their husbands. It states elsewhere in Galatians, for example, that there is neither male nor female, that same idea that before God. And so husbands stand, husbands and wives stand equally before the throne of grace and at the foot of the cross. And so submission is not something that is to be slavish or coerced. Nowhere are husbands told to make their wives submit to them. Isn't that interesting? Just as a husband's headship or leadership is never to be domineering or harsh, and that's specifically commanded here, do not be harsh with them. It is to be a servant leadership exemplifying the leadership of Jesus Christ. And so there's a strength to it, but there's also a humility and a graciousness about it. We have whole Sunday school quarters that we talk about this for 13 weeks, for for 13 hours. So we can't flesh all of this out in our half-hour sermon. And just as same, we think of a husband's servant leadership. So a wife's submission is to be a voluntary act before God and given willingly. We learn from Genesis 2 and we learn from Ephesians 5 that headship and submission were part of God's good created order in the garden when Adam and Eve were created by God before the fall into sin. This God-given order was to be something beautiful and intrinsically right and holy and good. But this was all changed when Adam and Eve sinned, and it's been said, sin didn't create headship and submission, it ruined them. I like that saying, and that's certainly the case. When the Scottish missionary John Payton and his wife Mary arrived on the island of Tanna, in the New Hebrides, as those islands were called in the 1800s, in the Pacific, on November 5th, 1858, they found a native people group in a state that had fallen far away from God's original creation order for husbands and wives and children and parents. The wives in that culture were oppressed severely. A husband could beat or even kill his wife for some minor reason or for no reason at all, and nothing was even thought about it. It didn't even raise an eyebrow. Children rarely survived childhood and pretty much were left to fend for themselves at a very young age. The whole culture was one of terribly broken marriages and families where murder and warfare were common and life of course, was very short. That missionary biography, by the way, is a fascinating one to read. There are older ones and there are newer ones if you look at them. And I sometimes think of what Peyton faced when I hear modern critiques of Christianity as something that has lowered the status of women and oppressed them. And certainly, Christianity throughout the ages has had 
uh, blind spots and failings that would be admitted. But actually, the overarching fact is that Christianity has massively exalted the status of women around the world. And so if submission and headship were ruined by the fall, even so, they have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and His grace. And so our text guards headship against abuses by stating, do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives. And we think of Ephesians adding the phrase, as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And our text also guards submission against debasement. Wives, submit as is fitting in the Lord. We think of Christ in His relationship to the church. Jesus is never harsh with His people. Yes, He's firm. Yes, He's loving. Yes, He's strong. And so now the marriage relationship begins to more and more show something of the beauty of the gospel and the picture of Christ and His church, His bride. What a beautiful thing. Do you see something of the glory of this? Do you see why we must remember that we are living before God and to please Him? And if we are married, then our marriages will be one of the biggest spiritual projects of our lives. And that's part of God's purpose for us. As we seek by God's grace to let our marriage show forth something of Christ, and we see the ways we fall short, and we turn to Jesus Christ, and we pray, and we seek Him, And so, just two brief applications. Number one, pray for the marriages represented in our church. Pray for young families. Pray for young marriages. Pray for marriages that are going through great stresses and things that come upon them, and and no marriage knows what tomorrow might bring. Pray for the people that you know, and pray for their marriages. But secondly, to those who are married, Seek God in prayer and meditation on His Word that you might glorify God in your marriage and realize that you will certainly be aware of each other's weaknesses and sins. And the tendency is to be more aware of your spouse's weaknesses than your own, but realize that your calling is to take the log out of your own eye, to forgive one another, And to first and foremost, repent of your own sin and seek the power of Jesus Christ by the Spirit to live more pleasing to Him and to fulfill more completely what the Bible calls us to do in our marriages. It's interesting when um, we're meeting with couples about weddings and we give them a lot of information and we give them some pages of typical passages of Scripture that are used. And of course, Ephesians 5 is one that's used a lot. But I find it interesting that in recent years, a lot of couples have been choosing Colossians chapter 3, not the short verses that I've read, but the verses above that, verses 12 through 14, which just goes to show that the Bible has a lot to say about family, about marriages. But a lot of couples choose it where it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, 
humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, Paul is writing to the church, to everyone in the church. This is life in the body of Christ. But it's interesting, I think, isn't it, that couples, even in that kind of rosy glasses time of engagement and, you know, putting their best foot forward and extrapolating what a marriage is going to be like, even then, if they've been, been taught pretty well, they know something about their sin, and they know that these verses are going to speak powerfully to them in calling them to things like humility and forgiveness and gentleness and for love. It's an interesting thing, I think. So, these are God's commands for wives and husbands. But secondly, we see Paul's commands to children and parents in verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So let's start with children who are commanded to obey their parents in everything. It's a sad thing, kids, that you can't pick and choose what to obey your parents about and what not to obey them about. Uh, Yes, uh, there are certain limits as that goes. You know that uh, if for some reason your parents commanded you to to do something that was against the Bible, um, then you couldn't do that, but that doesn't happen very much at all. So you're commanded to obey your parents in everything, and we're told that this pleases the Lord. Well, one of the first things a young person might think to himself is, don't my parents make mistakes? Aren't they wrong in their judgments sometimes? Don't they lack wisdom on occasion? Isn't their parenting affected by sin? And the answers are, Yes, 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 and yes. All those can be true, but that's no reason or excuse not to obey them. They are fallible, but you still must obey them in everything. I think it's an extraordinary Scripture verse. When we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, Jesus, as a 12-year-old, has stayed at the temple when his parents have joined, you know, the group that was going back to Nazareth, and the kids are kind of hanging out with their friends, and they get at the end of the first day, or either the first or second day. I think it's at the end of the first day, and they find out he's not among them. And the parents have to go back, and he said, you know, they find him after a long search in the temple teaching. And it's interesting, and then, then he goes to be with them and goes back to Nazareth. But the one statement Luke makes under inspiration of God is that he went down with them, down from Jerusalem to Nazareth, and was subject to them. He was submissive to them. Do you see the the amazing marvel of that? Jesus, the perfect Son of God, subjected himself to fallible human parents who didn't always have the right judgments about things, I'm sure. But he subjected himself to them. He obeyed them. We're not given much of a glimpse about what his 
childhood was like, but we are given that statement. And so, you're called to obey in everything, but secondly, obey in the Lord. Um, And that means, as we've seen, out of a motivation to please the Lord, out of ultimately a desire to walk with God. And so, your obedience to your parents are to be a fruit of your faith in the Lord. And that means, if it's obedience in the Lord, it means that it's more than just an outward act of obedience. It also demands a right attitude of heart. And so, it really addresses the typical childhood and young adult teenage problem and typical behavior of disrespect for parents, sarcasm, talking back, all those kinds of things that go on often in homes, of course. But obeying your parents for this pleases the Lord speaks to that, that the goal is to honor your parents, to have a cheerful obedience, and that means even when you don't agree. And so, young people, you need to ask, what is my attitude? Notice here, I have a point, what obeying parents does not require. It does not require that you necessarily agree with them. You don't have to be convinced that they're absolutely right in the decision they make. It also does not prohibit you from respectfully expressing your disagreement to them. At least most of the time, that's probably not the case, unless they've said they don't want you to do that. But if you come to them with a good attitude, may I talk to you about that rule or that thing that you've asked me to do? Well, maybe if they're very unreasonable parents, they'll say, no, you can't talk to me about that, sorry. That's the rule. But most parents, probably most of the time, would be glad to talk to you, and they might end up saying, well, ultimately, it's because I say so. You know what the old saying goes. You know why? Because I said so. Um, And uh, that phrase being interpreted means this. This is what I wrote down. These reasons may not be that clear to you, and I may not be able to express them very well, and I may even be wrong, but God has given me the responsibility of being your parent, and deep down, this is what I believe is best. So, because I said so. (laughs) Well, why obeying your parents is so important? Children, Your obedience to your parents set the pattern for how you relate to authority for the rest of your life. How you relate to your teachers, how you relate to the police, how you relate to the government or your boss, your employer. Everybody in our society is subject to a higher authority in some way or another. And it's interesting, Winston Churchill made the statement He who cannot follow must not lead. Isn't that interesting? If you will not obey your parents, then it's likely, very likely, that you're going to have a hard time submitting your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And this is an important lesson for children to learn. And as you get older, as an old man now, pretty old, I think with great joy of my parents' discipline of me. I don't think I was that easy. You know, when I was in third grade, they had to divide the Sunday school class between my my two best friends and me. 
and somehow I was separated from them. They had to go to the trouble of making two different third-grade classes because of us, so I must have needed some help. But I look back on that now with thanksgiving for firm and loving parents. And that brings us to the directive to fathers, which includes husbands and wives, moms and dads, parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. What are some points that we can draw from this? What would we say are biblical directives to, you, to parents, to fathers, so that you do not provoke your children, so you, you do not discourage them? Well, first and foremost, children are watching you. So the first directive is set a godly example for your child. It's interesting that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses is going to speak, the Lord's going to speak about teaching your children. The priority begins with, in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Then verse 7 comes. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and so on. So the first thing is set a good example with your godly walk, with your words, with your priorities, with your character, with your humility, with your trust in Jesus Christ. Children see through hypocrisy very, very easily. But the the second directive would be teach your children Deuteronomy 6 describes that. Proverbs 1, verse 8. Proverbs 4, verses 1 to 4. Proverbs 22, 6. We've, hold, we've had this whole pro, Proverbs series, which, which was overflowing about teaching a son important biblical truths. And the primary responsibility of teaching children is parents, fathers. It doesn't come by accident. And so parents, and especially dads, must, must take the initiative. Uh, so many times families feel like there's no time. There's, we just can't do this. So you have to make time. And we have to let our failures drive us to God in prayer and not give up trying to teach our children the Word of God, to bring them up in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. But then the third directive about that is to discipline your children in love. And I think this is especially in view here when it says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The antidote for not discouraging your children in the way you discipline them is to be balanced in these two important areas of firmness and love, to be both loving and firm. So discipline, that's the firm part, your children in love. God's discipline of us is a token of His love. In Hebrews 12, we read about a true child of God will be disciplined. We need discipline from God. And we could talk about that at some length. But we must discipline, we must be firm and exercise that in self-control. And that's what distinguishes disciplining a child from child abuse because it's in control. It's out of love. The surest way to provoke a child is with inconsistency 
in this area of disciplining with love. It won't seem reasonable. It won't seem fair. If some days the rule is this way and some days it's this way and some days there's harshness and some days the parent doesn't care at all what you do and the child is confused. And so discipline with love has the child's good in view. It's not just for appearance sake when you're out. It's not done selfishly because you're being bothered by the child. It's not too severe. It doesn't ignore the child. All that goes into firm and loving discipline. And then the fourth mandate is to love your children. This overall sense of this context we have in Colossians 3 that certainly applies to a parent's relationship to his, his or her child, this idea of gentleness and love and encouragement, patience, forgiveness, long-suffering. Discipline is not the only or even the primary way in which fathers and mothers relate to their children. It shouldn't be the only time that our children know we're around when we're disciplining them. Uh, Some children we know misbehave for attention because they want their parent to pay attention to them. And so let there be many words of encouragement and praise and love for every one word of firm correction. Let a parent, let a father, let a mother enter into a child's troubles and joys as our Father does in our lives. And He delights in us coming to Him with our burdens. Let a parent have that spirit of forgiveness and patience and frequently demonstrate affection and care. And let that all be done in the context of sacrificial parental love and not parental selfishness. And then finally, to not provoke your children and discourage them. Pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their growth in Christ. Pray for growth in wisdom and maturity. Pray, and don't ever stop praying for them. And don't we all know that no matter how old a child may be, a parent always prays for their children and keeps holding them before the throne of grace. And so we've seen an overview of the biblical commands involving marriage and family to the glory of God. It's a high calling for Christians to show forth the presence of Jesus Christ in our homes. And may God give grace to the families of our congregation to live so before Jesus Christ our Lord that the watching world sees something of His love and of the gospel that He has brought. Let us pray. Father, thank You so much that Your Word instructs us in important areas of our lives, that You tell us and You show us by Your love for us what it means to be a loving parent who cares for your erring child. Thank you so much, O Lord, for the Bible being filled with your compassion overflowing to us in Jesus Christ, that you sent him to save us from our sins and to truly make us children of the living God. 
Be with the marriages in our church, Lord, in a day and age when there are many, many things that pull marriages apart, many great temptations, many difficulties. We pray that you would strengthen every marriage and every family in our church. And Lord, be with us as a congregation. Lord, may Jesus Christ be praised, we ask. In his name, amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.